Hello and welcome to How to Win Friends and Influenza. This is a podcast about careers in medicine. So in this podcast, we talk to doctors across a huge range of specialties and find out what life is really like in each of these. I just want to give a shout out to Sarah, our number one fan. Thank you so much for your support. So my name's Lily and today we're going to talk all about a very, very exciting specialty. Now you might be wondering what that is. Well, let me give you a hint. As people, we all have five senses and these senses contribute enormously to quality of life. But it's undeniable that one of these senses, sight and vision, it's undeniable that this is a very, very important one. Without it, your life would be very, very different. I mean, let's face it, as people, we're very visual, we're very superficial, appearance matters. I mean, why do you think I've got a podcast and not a video series? Oh, I'm just kidding. It's because I'm so attractive that, you know, I don't want people to be distracted by my excellent looks. But that aside, sight is very important. And that's why we have things like ophthalmology, because it can make a huge difference to people's lives. So I'm really pleased to announce a very special guest today, Dr. Neil. Now, Dr. Neil is an experienced uh, clinician and surgeon in a sense, because ophthalmology involves a mix of these two different practices. And he's just all around a really nice guy. So he's the kind of man where you'd walk into his surgery, he's partway through a cataract surgery and he takes the time to stop and chat. Well, not actually stop, keep going with the surgery and do a great job, but chat at the same time. And that's exactly the kind of person we wanna be talking to today. So Dr. Neil, Thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you, Lily. No, it's a pleasure to be here. So it's very kind to be invited. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I'm going to start off with a question that probably plagues non-medical people. What is the difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist? <laughs> yes, as I lip synced your yes. question. So, um, well, optometrists make glasses. Um, ophthalmologists are medical doctors who... Uh, diagnose and treat eye diseases. Um, so we, we do have to understand a lot about um, uh, optics and prescription of glasses, but it, it's more the medical side of eye, eye diseases and eye care. Okay, so what sorts of pathologies and diseases are we talking about? Um, well, the common things that we see in Australia um, are glaucoma and cataract, uh, and uh, macular degeneration, um, diseases of old age predominantly. Right, and what are the sorts of impacts that these can have on patients? Well, they, they can all uh, lead to blindness, vision impairment, um, and uh, so um, I think it's, it is a rewarding area to work in because you can really make a big difference in somebody's life, saving yeah. their sight. And there are so many activities in daily life that really require sight. I mean, driving is an obvious one, but just knowing where you are, walking down the street, all these sorts of things really can affect a patient. Yes. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a very precious sense. It's the most important sense, yeah. I, I'd like to think. But, um, <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit biased, but, but, yeah, <laughs> but I but, believe you. But yeah, I, I think we, we take a lot of our, you know, we take health for granted until something goes wrong. But mm. uh, yeah, yeah, our sight is so important for, for living a, a full life. Mm, so it's really fortunate that we have ophthalmology, but it's very interesting to know that it's quite different now from before we, because we've got so much technology. So mm. what was ophthalmology like, let's say, 50 years oh, ago? Well, very primitive, mm. I, I, you know, relatively primitive. Um, uh, in 1960, um, uh, 
people weren't receiving uh, intraocular lenses after cataract surgery. Um, I, I think our ability to see the back of the eye was really in its infancy. Um, the direct ophthalmoscope had been developed, but um, in, in Australia, um, eye specialists weren't, weren't using um, uh, indirect ophthalmoscopy. Um, uh, fundus cameras hadn't really come into use. Um, certainly none of the modern digital technology imaging um, abilities we have. Yeah, and compare that to now. I mean, with a cataract op operation, is that mm. maybe 20 minutes of surgery? Yeah, yeah. well, some, some of the junior registrars can do a cataract in about eight minutes and they, <laughs> they show up um, us older consultants now. But no, it's, it's, it's revolutionary um, how safe um, uh, and how quick the recovery is after, for example, modern cataract operations. Yeah, mm. and how long after the operation can the patient see again? Well, it's almost immediately. Um, some, some people have their surgery done under local anesthesia, which means they hop off the table and they can see very, very well immediately. It's, it's startling. Yeah, mm. and that, that makes a huge difference. Mm. But ophthalmology is not just surgery. It's, it's very interesting because it's got two components. It's mm. got the clinic component mm. and the procedural work. So mm. what's a typical day for you? Well, I, I, I think um, I, I do enjoy the mix myself, but um, I, I would tend to have um, uh, uh, one day of operating a week. Um, some, some brand, I'm a general ophthalmologist, so I, I, I do see a lot of um, clinic patients. Um, some other the, of the subspecialties um, do a lot more operating, so oculoplastic surgeons, they tend to operate a lot and see few, few patients in clinic, if, if that's your, your bent. Um, but, so I'd, I'd go to work, see probably 20 to 30 patients mm -hmm. in a day, wow. um, and uh, come, come uh, Thursday morning, I'd be doing my operating list, operating on about four or five patients, um, either adult cataracts. Um, I tend to see children as well, part of my clinical load. So I deal with a lot of um, kids' issues, which, you know, which involves mm -hmm. squint-turned eyes or blocked tear ducts. Um, right. Simple things like that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I've actually heard that ophthalmology is very, very competitive. I think this is the general um, perception. You know, very few places, very difficult to get into. Um, quite highly respected. But it sounds like there's even subspecialties you can do beyond that, which is insane. Yes, yes. So it's tending more and more to subspecialty practice, particularly if you um, reside in a capital city. Um, so uh, we we all get taught how to do cataract surgery and manage the common things but um with advancements um mm. the people be, can become a, a corneal subspecialist or an oculoplastics um some people do uh vitro retinal surgery um some some people end up doing medical retina which is more um lasers and injections for diabetes and macular degeneration um <coughs> there, there's a branch um of ophthalmology neuroophthalmology which sort of um, goes on to you know the neurologist sort of uh, field as well. Right, and that's all under <coughs> ophthalmology training first. It it is. So right. we we do a general training, um, which is uh, four or five years. Okay. Um, one year of that would be an elective, um, a, a fellowship usually. Right. Um, yeah. And is it true what they say? It's quite difficult to get into the program. There's quite limited spaces. I, I think it's getting harder, or it mm -hmm. has been. Um, uh, 
I understand a few years ago, the average age of finishing um, your ophthalmology training was, was 37 mm-hmm. or so. Um, and that does um, impact on your, you know, your, all the other things that you, you want to do um, during your life. Yeah. Um, I think there's been attempts, they, they've changed the, the entrance criteria. And uh, I think they're, they're again, we're, we're getting younger registrars coming through. So uh, a few of the few of the fellows have um, done their resident internship residency training and then been accepted onto the training scheme, which, which I think is wonderful because you can actually learn surgical skills much better when you're a, a, a late 20, early 30 year old rather than an older. Right. Older Before the trainee. motivation speeding out of you. <laughs> <laughs> you get tired. Mm. Yes. Okay. Now, the requirements are certainly going to change all the time, but what are the general characteristics that the training program's looking for? Well, look, I, I think they, they want um, they want applicants who have done done well, have a high um, academic uh, rating through university. Um, I, I think um, being keen and interested is always uh, well received. Um, and I think um, if if anybody is interested, um, having a talk to a specialist, mm. um, somebody in a teaching hospital who's involved with selecting registrars um, would be helpful. And I think um, uh, the common course, common pathway has been for um, applicants to either do a higher degree, a master's or sometimes a PhD, mm. um, and along with doing some form of research. This is, this is what delays entrance. Right. So it, it may well be moving away from that a little bit now. Okay, so and it's not compulsory to have a PhD, but it can help. It, it certainly right. won't hurt, <laughs> yes. But yeah, there, there are many, many um, first year, second year registrars who haven't done any, any extra university work and they've just got on on the basis of their um, enthusiasm and their ability. Okay. Um, and that's, that's great. Yeah. Excellent. The unfortunate thing is that many university degrees don't have that much emphasis on ophthalmology. Uh, People say from time to time, you know, ophthalmology, dermatology, um, maybe even ENT, they aren't as well covered as, say, cardiovascular respiratory. So where can people go to find out more about ophthalmology? Well, I I I think you should really hang around your local eye clinic (laughs) and um, and and that's probably the way to learn. It it is a very... um, demanding specialty to acquire knowledge about. Um, there is a lot of optics. Um, there's a lot of uh, microanatomy. There's a lot of physiology that's required to really understand eye disease and, and treatment paradigms. Um, so I, I think attending a clinic and, um, you know, becoming familiar with, um, with uh, clinical examination techniques being able to use a direct, mm. but if you're interested, I think you should, you know, practice. Um, if you're a CAS resident, uh, plan to dilate people's pupils and look with a direct ophthalmoscope. Um, there are um, instruments that you, you can actually view the back of the eye very easily, and but I think um, probably uh, investing time in some research, um, taking tacking on to a, a, a clinician who has a research interest and being guided by their their advice, I think would be the most helpful way. Excellent, okay. And what sorts of personalities might this work suit? Do you think maybe people with quite good attention to detail? Very, very anally retentive, <laughs> conscientious. No, I'm, I'm being silly. I think, um, I, I think 
um, being disciplined and um, being prepared to put in time um, is important. And um, so that's what it does involve. Yeah. How much time are we talking? I mean, we don't have to go into specific numbers, but is it possible to have a, a life outside medicine and do the training program at the same time? Well, I think at the end, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, dur- during your registrar training, it is a very, very full commitment. And um, I think we, we have a lot of ophthalmology widows, um, you know, who still live with us um, and, and, and husbands, I guess, as well. Yeah. Well, they're married um, to ophthalmology. <laughs> so, but no, it, it, it's um, particularly around examination time. Right. It is a very big demand. You know, you, you probably, um, you have a, a very interesting work day and you, you do have, um, you know, you do have time in the evenings to, to maintain friendships and pursue your hobbies and um, keep fit. Um, uh, I, I think around exam time, it's very demanding. You really should, you know, forsake about six months of your social <laughs> life yeah. to if you want to pass the the, the part two exam. Um, but afterwards, it, it's a very it's a very nice specialty in the way that we, we don't often get rung at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, for an emergency, people will tend to present while they're awake and they've got their eyes open. Yeah, yeah that's um, true. And it's um, it's a very, I think, contained discipline um, in that you do develop a lot of expertise about a very small part of the human anatomy. You you, you tend to know everything about the eye, mm. um, and so it does. You, you can um, be. It's a very um, reassuring specialty you usually are in control you know what's happened you you, you know what to do yeah. and and usually you can intervene um and be helpful good so yeah. it is a kind of specialty where you can make some real difference mm. it's not like we don't have cures for anything and you just have to sit there in sadness while the patient is suffering yes i think you yeah. can do a lot Excellent. yeah compared to some other some other yeah areas yeah. of health areas that shall not be named <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, I'm just curious, at dinner parties, things like that, do people often come up to you and ask for advice? They ask all the time about their laser refractive uh, surgery option. Um, So that's a very, um, you know, expand what's but it's been a busy area in in Australia in the last 10 years. Everybody with short not short sightedness has been uh, sort of advised to consider laser refractive surgery. That's a very common area. Um, And I think in um, my older friends um, asked me about cataract and femtosecond laser. There's a new technique um, using femtosecond laser to do half the cataract procedure. Um, so it's uh, th- th- they do get asked those sorts of questions, yeah. yes. And if it came to it, if one of your friends wanted you to do a procedure on them, would you do it or do you think it would be a bit strange operating on someone you knew? Well, I've, I've operated on in-laws Oh. And I've operated on um, spouses of very close friends, mm, yeah. and that's about as close as I, I, I'd say. If if I had a very good friend yeah. with a very commonplace, easy to deal with problem, I'd be very happy to do it. Um, I, I think intraocular surgery is probably better to have um, a, a you know someone cool and professional and mm. slightly detached. Mm. So yeah, and certainly I wouldn't want to. Um, intervene for my own family I think because uh, you, your reason does go out the window um, having children who've been sick having you know medical emergencies in in your own family you, you realize 
that you you're not equipped to deal with the emotional um, aspect and it does it does overwhelm your reason despite your your best effort I, I feel anyway yeah. I think what you described uh, before about being cool and detached, I think that's actually a very good summary of how ophthalmology procedures go because they are very well controlled. It's not like, let's say, orthopedic procedures where you no. have a hammer and a nail and blood <laughs> spurting everywhere. Uh, it's it's amazing just how neat it is, how small yes. the surgeries are. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's really something. Yeah, um, I, I guess um, uh, as a um, in, as a uh, an interested student. Um, you probably should calculate how dexterous you are. Mm. And um, if you have opportunities um, either in CAS or with a surgical term to look through a microscope, and um, there, there is a lot of you know, calibrating your cerebellum to, to control your hands. Um, it's a very different world right. um, in a, in a, you know, under an operating microscope. But um, I think also, as part, if you're interested, um, just have a, have a go under a microscope um, at some point during your residency and determine that you're coordinated. You know, practice suturing in casualty. Um, what, what I'd recommend is even if you can do a surgical term or an obstetrics term, um, these are things I, I did. I, I found them very, very helpful to learn um, surgical skills and um, uh, it, it's, it's great to have that basis when you start a surgical fellowship or surgical registrar training. Yeah, and that's really good practical, practical advice. I think sometimes people think of the specialty they want to do, and that's amazing because you have to have that dream in place first. But there are also these practical limitations, and I suppose with surgery, your physical ability is something that has to yeah. be considered. Yeah, and look, mo most people, I, I think it's being, um, you, you, you have to be competent. Mm. Uh, there are very slick surgeons, but most people can train themselves to be very, very good. good. And, you know, it's having insight, knowing what not to do. Uh, but it, it is, it's, it's very challenging if you have a tremor. Um, you know, people, people struggle to deal with that. You know, using beta blockers uh, isn't necessarily going to, going to control the situation. There are aspects of ophthalmology you can do um, if you are um, not a great surgeon. Um, people do um, lots of laser work, for example. Um, so there, there are options. You can still pursue ophthalmology, but having having decent hands is you know it's very nice. It's yeah. just one less one less thing to worry about. It's yeah. probably good to think about that upfront as well. Mm. Mm. Now, what about retirement age? You mentioned that <laughs> before the average soon <laughs> soon I heard. <laughs> you mentioned before the average um, entry was about thirty seven. Do yes. they um, you know considering the hand tremors and that sort yes. of thing? Yes. Yeah. When do you have to retire? Does that give you a very short window? Well, I think I think there are. Um, some surgeons who, who keep working up until their early 70s wow. um, are doing, um, maybe maybe not doing fine demanding cataract procedures, no. but doing, um, doing other sorts of surgery, um, plastics and squint surgery um, are reasonable. I think um, you do have longevity in ophthalmology. You, you just have to have a clear mind and reasonably good hands. And um, and have pattern recognition. It's a very concrete discipline, Lily, and that you, you don't you often can see what the problem is when you look, and then you can deal with it. You don't have to actually think and join the dots. It's not overly <laughs> cerebral like some like being a neurologist, for oh, example. Yes, so yes. so um, but I, I think there are, are some very very active, um, very highly respected senior 
ophthalmologists who are working until their um, mid-70s and sometimes beyond that um, and doing a really sterling job. Okay, that's very comforting actually. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. The other interesting thing about ophthalmology is you can choose to go into private or public. Do most people favour one over the other? Um, ophthalmology, I think, is a predominantly private um, uh, business in, in Australia. So we, we do have um, consultants um, in all the teaching hospitals and, and, um, and regional centres as well, um, although I, I'd understand, I think a lot of those consultants have... Um, 20% or, 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 you know, a, a smaller minority part of their time in, in hospital and the majority of their time is spent at their their rooms. Yep. So, um, and there, there are a lot of consultants who never um, ne would, would have 100% private load. So it is, it's a interesting area. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you're not dependent on a teaching hospital to work as an ophthalmologist and, you uh, you can set up your own rooms. You can some of the ophthalmologists in in years gone by have set up their own theatres in their rooms, and are very happy doing that. Now, mm. this is more of a philosophical question, but as we go through medicine, you start from being a medical student with basically no salary, maybe even a lot of debt, and you end up at the other extreme, which is a consultant with quite a well-established job and salary. So, how did you? Uh, you know, change your mindset as you went through that progression? Did you become used to the luxury or do you still think back to the medical student days of poverty? I'm used to the mortgage, actually, Lily. So <laughs> I'm still waiting for the luxury. <laughs> well, um, no, I, I think we're extremely fortunate um, uh, having a secure income and it's a very good income um, compared to most, most people. Um, so I, I think... Um, you know, with, with that, you, you, you inherit a lot of responsibility um, and, and do make sacrifices. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I think um, there, there is a perception that ophthalmologists are the, the big earners and they're millionaires and flying Learjets. Um, is, is that not true? <laughs> I, I've had to give mine away. No, oh. no. So, so that, that there was a golden age of ophthalmology. I think twenty years ago, right. where there was a lot of cataract surgery, uh, secondary lenses, and uh, but I'm not sure if that's the case mm -hmm. so much. I, I'm, I think we have a respectable income, and um, uh, I, I think you do in, have a lot of lot of. Um, costs in, in private practice, probably about 60% of your earnings would be going into maintaining a practice, which pe people don't generally appreciate how much yeah. um, a practice would cost to run. Um, so I, I think I've worked out that if I, if I was a 100% staff specialist at hospital, um, I, I would probably be breaking even with compared to working in my private rooms. So that's for me, um, being a, a high volume cataract surgeon, um, you know, you, you do earn, um, you know, a very good wage, but yeah, there are ophthalmologists who, who do a lot of clinical work and don't, don't do that much procedural work who don't earn as much either. Yeah, and, and that said, even if it's quite a um, well-established income, there was a lot of work that went into getting there, and so there is a trade-off that people have to think about. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think 
it, it, it's hopefully a bit better. But um, <laughs> you know, as a hospital resident, you, you're slaving for many, many years, oh, yes. and you, you know, you do get a bit of overtime. Um, but then uh, doing um, a, a postgraduate degree is also a, another couple of years or, or, or longer of no income. Um, you're often relying on your spouse. Um, you just hope you, that they don't also do ophthalmology. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And uh, um, and you end up with a big debt. Um, and I, I remember, um, I think at the end of my eye training, because I'd, I'd worked as a hospital resident for a little bit longer, then had time off um, to, to do a part one exam, then done a, a master's. And so I was not, I wasn't working full time for four years or so. And being a registrar was great. Suddenly had a, a nice continuous income, but um, went to England as a fellow and uh, started drawing back on my mortgage. <laughs> and uh, in those days, um, I, and still, I, I'm not sure every fellow has a, a full income overseas. Some, some, some places it's a honorary placement. And uh, uh, you know, I remember we were shopping at Tesco's, and the the baked beans were a great bargain at nineteen pence uh, a can. <laughs> that was a happy day finding that, and and a loaf of bread was twelve pence, and you know we, I think we had about eighty pounds in the bank after filling our car with petrol. Wow. So so that was that was at thirty five or. 37 for me, something like that, yes. What do you normally eat now? Have you progressed beyond the baked beans? <laughs> yes, I have a, a nutritious, you know, full oh, product. Oh, lots of green and leafy vegetables. That's good for my retina. <laughs> Excellent to hear. Now, at what point did you know that you wanted to do ophthalmology? Well, look, I, I was interested in high school. Um, I had a brother who did medicine, so he was a medical student, and I thought it was a very, you know, medicine in, in general was a very um, rewarding area. For you sure. could help people challenging sort of science, um, science-based. Um, and then I uh, watched, a, I think it was a TV program um, in late high school um, one, one evening, Your Life in Their Hands. They, they used to have patients going through different surgical procedures. And the night I watched, there was a gentleman who'd just had his cataract and he'd been, he'd been blind. And you know, at the end, they had him looking out the window just, and you could see just how wonderful it was. So that, that attracted me to the idea of ophthalmology. And then I, um, I did it as a medical student and I lost interest very quickly because um, <laughs> I was, I was um, looking, looking at all these patients with glaucoma and they had their pressure measurement and they got the same you know, timolol drop and out they'd go and another, another glaucoma patient would come in. And I didn't appreciate the diversity um, as, a, as a medical student. But I was lucky I, I got to do an ophthalmology term as a resident and I, I did see um, the breadth and the rewards that, um, you know, the, that sort of clinical work gave patients. So, and that's, that um, uh, inspired me again, I think, right. to, yeah. to pursue, pursue that, that line. And that's a really interesting journey because you started off knowing what you wanted and then you mm. didn't want it anymore. And then actually after your medical school studies, while you were actually a doctor, then you redecided what you wanted to do. Mm. So it it kind of gives this inspiration that you can sort of decide at any time, and as long as you're focused and you do the work, you can Certainly. do what you want. Yeah. yeah, and look, I think when you do start working in a hospital situation, you'll you'll be exposed to a lot of different disciplines, and, and there are a lot of really rewarding careers. Um, and I was I was attracted to 
uh, uh, you know, physician training even. Um, and I, I did some obstetrics and I thought, oh, you know, being a paediatrician, they're, they're, they're all lovely. Mm. Um, but I, I think you, if you find something that you really do enjoy, um, you, you'll, um, you'll maintain the enthusiasm. You, you know, you, you'll, you need to be able to stick things out. But I think persistence does pay off for a lot of, a lot of specialty choices. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just good advice for life, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Now let's let's end on a very reflective question. Is there a piece of advice um, if you had to give to your younger self that you would, you know, through podcast? I think yes. As a as a medical student, um, I probably would have. I should have been keener. <laughs> Go to lectures. Right. Um, you know, I think the secret of um, success is is turning up a lot. Um, so. But I think um, uh, also have, having maturity to, to dedicate time, be disciplined in your study habits. Um, also, you know, making sure that you maintain friendships um, and you pursue your hobby. Even, even it's, you know, it's very important, I think, later when you don't have study to, to be able to um, enjoy these things and, and it'll enrich, your, enrich your, your professional life as well. Definitely great advice. And I really like what you said about showing up. I think it's a Woody Allen quote uh, where it goes, 80% of success is showing up, <laughs> which is I very so. true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so on that note, I encourage all the listeners to go off and watch some Woody Allen movies. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Neil. It's been excellent talking to you, finding out so much about ophthalmology. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Lily. Thank you. We'll see you all in the next episode.